0: Whatever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine.
1: Perry, the guy heard. Here's the jump
0: shot. Jump to Marley, a long three. He got him. He got him. Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. Sir Charles, and he flies in for a wham! bam, bam! bam! time. He
1: Seven Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCully, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man?
0: I'm doing all right, Max. It's nice to be recording after a game uh, for once here. We've done a, a lot of before games recently and not had a lot of luck with results. Uh, we didn't have a lot of luck tonight versus Memphis. And obviously a very sad and, and weird day overall with the news of uh, Kobe Bryant passing away, and really the the highest respect I can pay to Kobe is to say, as a Suns fan, I absolutely hated his guts, and he was an amazing player, and that was why Max.
1: Yeah, he destroyed our dreams in twenty ten. I'll never forget that. He was an unbelievable player. Uh, shocking, shocking news. You know, condolences out to his entire. Family and all this for everybody. Just you know, everybody else in the helicopter too. Obviously, it's a, mm-hmm. a really bad day. It feels weird to do this, so
0: we're just we're just gonna plow through it because there's really nothing else we can do, David. Yep, the way a bit of a therapy session. I, I said to you before we hit record on this one, and, and hopefully the same for the listeners when they uh, listen back to this one, Max. So we're gonna talk about the last four games: two against San
1: Antonio, one against Indiana, one against Memphis, which you mentioned we just watched. Uh, probably a bit more focused on the Memphis game because it's. Fresh in our minds, Uh, a lot of bad things. There were some good things, though. We'll try to highlight those. Uh, Maybe talk about how we think this team can get back on track, you know, going into the
0: trade deadline, going into the stretch of the season. Uh, Before we get into all of that, David, how about a recap? Yeah, we're going to run in reverse order here, but I'll, I'll let you know how we went for the week, guys. But the Phoenix Suns are 19-27 and 27 after 46 games in the NBA. Uh, obviously, a little bit of news with Cam and Aaron Baines both being announced as indefinitely out. I think that's just the Suns' way of of not having to deal with uh, persistent questions and things around their return and, and deadlines. I don't love the way that the Suns treat injuries. We've talked about it before, Max, and it might come up a little bit later. But, you know, until we see them back, I'm going to probably be a little bit worried about both of them, that there's something deeper going on there but another four game week for us where we went 1 and 3 unfortunately there was the heartbreaking loss to San Antonio 118 to 120 Booker had 37 in that one uh, the loss to Indiana 87 to 112 they were never in that one Ubre top scored with just 17 uh, the win over the Spurs 103 99 of course Booker had 35 and 10 in that one. And then the loss, which we just watched, 109 to 114. Booker had 36 and 5. Ayton had 17, 15, 2, 3, and 2 and was up and down all game. Ubre had 27 and 9 and also had some highs and lows himself. But shout out to the bench overall getting us back into that one, I think. No one has stats that pop off the page when you look at the box score, but uh, those guys were, were pretty impressive and I'm, I'm sure will come up very soon when we jump into the Memphis game, Max. But third in the division, two and a half games clear of Sacramento and 13 and a half back from the Clippers now. Uh, 11th in the conference, even with Portland on the 19-27 record. And we're now three games out of that eighth seed, unfortunately. And we're also 20th in the NBA, which I believe might be the lowest point of the season for us. So not trending in the right direction at an important time of the season, Max.
1: Yeah, no, not really. I guess we'll start right in the Memphis game. I like how you mentioned Javon Carter. He really probably shined the most in that game for me. Yep. Like you said, the stats weren't showing it because it wasn't stat things. If there was a stat that was like momentum changing plays, he would probably have had like 10. <laughs> and that game, uh, you know, the Suns came out with not a whole lot of fight and, you know, we're not going to get into this, but there may be a reason why. So we're not going to kill him too much for that. But Javon Carter really is the one who brought the energy tonight. Uh, he hit a three. He actually had a really—I always kill him for his finishing because it's not very good, David. But he had a really nice layup in transition in late in the third quarter. I think that little it was. little
0: lefty one. Yes, that yeah. one. Yeah, that was a
1: fantastic finish. So yeah. you know, I love seeing that from him. The Suns could obviously use good backup guard plays. So I thought that was a highlight. Did you?
0: Yeah, definitely. They they got us back in him and Ty Jerome. I think yep. were, we're pro- pretty instrumental in getting us back in the game. It's always difficult for a coach. He obviously went... With his starters down the stretch, I, th- I thought he probably should have had him on a pretty short leash because they hadn't showed him a lot, uh, you know. Particularly Rubio uh, and Ubre and Saric in certain patches of that game, I-, I wanted to see the guys who sparked it, you know, including Mikhail, I think was in that group of defensive guys that that got things going and were just, you know, creating a bit of chaos that we always talk about. That seems to be when they're at their best defensively. But yeah, I think Carter was the the highlight of the three if you had to pick one, just with his you know, dog defense and uh, making big plays, hitting big shots. Uh, You know, he tapped a few off. uh, Ja Morant coming from behind and things like that. Such a difficult cover to to cover a guy like that who's just going off and is extremely quick on the court. But, you know, they're the games where uh, Carter can, I guess, have an influence. You know, this is the thing with this little bench unit of guards, which we'll probably get into a little bit later, trying to fix the rotation a little bit. But, you know, they're all probably going to, be better in certain situations, I think. And that this game was definitely a game for Javon Carter, especially against his old team uh, at an arena that he was familiar with. He was able to kind of impose himself on the game, whereas there's other times where, you know, that's just not working at all for the Suns. But it was nice to see them, uh, you know, get their chance and actually take it because that's something we've been whinging about a lot too is that, you know, there's an open spot there. Monty keeps trying to give him chances and, and no one steps up to the plate.
1: Yeah, you bring up chaos, and I think that's a really nice place to focus. This game, I mean, the Suns might have been kind of blown out of it in the third quarter there if it didn't change all when uh, they brought in the Javon Carter, Ty Jerome, uh, Booker, McKell. Aiton, I think is what the lineup was. Or no, maybe Diallo is at Aiton. Diallo was in there a little bit as well as Aiton. I think we can both give them a little bit of credit. Okay, so yeah, that lineup, all of a sudden, they started playing aggressive defense where they were trapping, they were running out on guys, they were forcing turnovers. It's something they don't do enough. David, I don't know whether it's a personnel thing. Like, they don't do it with a Kobo for whatever reason. But when they got out, those three guys uh, on, on the perimeter, Mikel, Javon, and even Ty Jerome, I, you, you mentioned him earlier. I thought he was – I think it's clearly his best game as his son so far. Yeah. He was really – I mean, he showed his smarts on defense. He's never going to be, you know, a lockdown defensive guy. He's not athletic enough. But he knows where to be. He knows how to trap. He made a lot of plays on that end. And then, obviously, you know, his offense was pretty good too, His the, the three-pointer. Him and Javon, uh, oh, and and the out-of-bounds pass that I told you you need to make part of seven plays or less if you do it, where he (laughs) passed to Mikel, I think, early in the fourth. He just looked more comfortable out there. It really looked like uh, Ty Jerome, as I tweeted, was no longer scared of his own shadow, as he has (laughs) been so far in the NBA. Uh, And and him settling in and and giving us minutes would be so
0: huge because, I mean, David, he might be the smartest player on our team. It's not a very smart team. It's not. He just makes the right play. And, you know, I think we noted last week that if they can just get him some extended minutes, he he looks more comfortable. He's never going to, you know, turn a game around in in two minutes. You've kind of got to let him be Mm. out there and impose himself on the game a little bit more. But he was able to jump in and and react pretty quickly uh, tonight. Unfortunately, it it didn't go the whole way for the Suns or else we'd be celebrating uh, these these guys' impact even more, I think. But encouraging to get that out of tie, And I think... They just did a good job. They played him mostly off the ball, uh, which we noted. And, you know, they did a good job of hiding him defensively as well. Like they would get him at, you know, small forward guarding slow-mo Anderson or, you know, just get him on the least, yeah. uh, you know, attacking option from the opposition, which is what they have to be smarter with these guys that kind of have clear weaknesses or, or are just rookies and, and trying to learn the game. So, yeah, it was nice to see that from those two guys specifically. Just looking at the bench now, obviously Ali didn't really have an effect on the game. I thought Mikhail was pretty good. You know, he's had his classic four rebounds, three assists, two steals, two blocks kind of game. Uh, Didn't hit a three. It'd be nice to just see him have a few more shots fall down. I think the one that he did miss looked pretty good from where I was sitting, but didn't quite go down. The Suns just had so many go in and out in this game as well, which was just... Really Mm -hmm. rough to try and ride those bumps as we we went down the stretch there. But Booker was incredible again. I thought I I really had one eye on him, obviously, for the whole game with with what happened with Kobe and what we saw pregame with him, you know, riding B Legendary on his shoes and and crying essentially in the warm up. So it was always going to be really tough. But um, I don't know. What did you think of Ayton and Ubre? Obviously, Ricky had a, a pretty poor game, one of 10. Uh, and missed a pretty critical free throw that I'm not going to kill him about. He's still an 80% free throw shooter, oh. so, you know, this shit happens. So I, I, I still remember him hitting those two free throws against the OKC earlier in the year that that won us a game, Max, so we can't kill him. And then him remember the three against Denver to tie the game, second game of the season. Exactly. Um, so, you know, but, I, yeah,
1: I mean, it, you can't really sugarcoat Rubio in this game. Uh, he was just awful. Uh, if you get a, even a normal Rubio game here, the Suns win probably, and, you yeah. know, I'm not going to say that this means, you know, Rubio was a bad signing, as I've seen some people on some Twitter say, because we like (laughs) to overreact to everything. But, yeah, I mean, he was awful in this game, and there's no doubt about it. I actually thought they probably should have gone with Javon earlier. Uh, There was nobody else who could even pretend to uh, bother John Morant in this game. Who, by the way, we should briefly say, unbelievable. Oh, my God, he's so good. Uh, He might be one of my biggest, maybe my biggest draft miss of all time, not having him number two. Uh, He's ridiculous. He's an unbelievable player. I can't believe how good he is for a rookie point guard. But moving on to uh, – I, I do want to touch on Devin Booker real quick. Then let's go to eight because I think is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that you talk about the in-and-outs. That in-and-out three Booker had with like three minutes to go or whatever, that was such a backbreaker. It uh, feels like the game may be totally different if that doesn't happen. And then other than that, he really didn't get the ball very much, which was just kind of a failing on the part of the offense. Yeah. Um, uh, Mikel had the one with the out-of-bounds where he kind of looked off him. I think like 30 seconds left and ended up throwing to Oubre for whatever the hell Oubre was trying to do in the corner. Uh, <laughs> that was bad. He's, you got to get your best player of the ball, man, especially when he's hot. I mean, it's not like Booker's having a bad game. He's having, you know, a typical great Devin Booker game as of late, and you can't get in the ball. It's, that's kind of a – I wouldn't just blame that on any one player. That's an offense failure all around. That's a coaching failure. That's an everything failure. Um, and I think they probably should have had Javon Carter in there and let Booker run uh, the point. Probably. That probably wouldn't be the way I would have run that game at the end. Yeah, uh, I mean...
0: Let's move to... You go ahead. Yeah, they're already substituting Rubio out for Javon in, in kind of offense-defense scenarios. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's another level to go to, and that's always the worry of the coach is to, to piss off his, you know, free agent signing that way. But, yeah, particularly when you look up at the box score and he's, you know, 1 of 10, I think it's pretty easy to just kind of go, we're going with someone else tonight, Ricky, and, and putting the ball in, in Booker's hands. Because, yeah, you're right, they really struggled to get it to booker down the stretch and and he was the one that was going to win them the game uh if they were going to be able to pull it out i think to be fair to ricky the one was a big three-pointer so we <laughs>
1: had that going for him
0: i don't know who that guy was that, that shot that step back but it certainly wasn't ricky rubio not the one i know but uh, let's get
1: to eight i thought he was really interesting in this game uh, very highs and low like you said earlier and I think a lot of it had to do with whether or not he was being guarded by Jonas Valanciunas or Jaron Jackson Jr. Yep. Uh, he was a lot better against the latter, obviously. And it, it totally comes down to strength and physicality. It's just tough for a guy like Aiton. I mean, Aiton looks like a physical Adonis, so we assume he's the strongest man in the league, but he really isn't. Guys like Jonas Valanciunas can push him around, and I think that was happening in this game. Yep. But, you know, as soon as you get JJJ on him, who is even less physical than he is, like it's, it's a lot easier for him, I think. DeAndre probably had his best dunk on somebody in his life uh, tonight, or at least in his NBA career. Easily. When he dunked on JJJ. That was incredible. Uh, I think every Suns fan just had a leap. Uh, their heart lapsed when they saw that. Um, and then JJJ hit a three-pointer four feet behind the line, so the heart <laughs> went back down after that. But yeah, no, I think Aiton was, I mean, again, up and down. Uh, I liked to see the aggression on a couple things. He was still settling for some bad jumpers. His hands... Or a little dicey at times in that game. So, what's you know, happened? As what's happened him, to he, his
0: hands? I've got that uh, question written down you know, right here. What What has it's, happened it's to a, those hands? He
1: shows up at certain games and just doesn't have the hands. It's so weird. Like there's some games where it's totally fine. It's not an issue. But in this game, it was an issue. I mean, what do you think happened?
0: I, I don't know. I don't know. It's like it's really interesting. I, I kind of I thought of JJJ during the game. You know, he's obviously turned into an elite three-point shooter uh, and it's come at the expense of, I guess, some of the other parts of his game are mm-hmm. not developing very well, you know, rebounding, fouling out a lot, uh, just not a great inside defensive presence, which, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to be as a prospect. And it's the only thing I can put it down to with Aiton is we've, you know, raved about all these things that we're seeing about him this season that we didn't see last year. And it just looks like, you know, because you can't have everything all at once, the The hands have like come at the expense of, of some of the other stuff that you would, uh, you know, hope for with aggression and things like that. But, you know, I think a lot of people have noted that, you know, the suspension obviously hasn't got that timing all that great down pat with Ricky Rubio just yet, which is going to be something to watch long term. But yeah, he just gets, seems to get caught out and surprised by a lot of passes and stuff. Uh, since his return and uh, doesn't quite have the hands that we are used to seeing. But the the touch is still there. Uh, I I really would not care if I never saw an elbow jumper uh, from DeAndre Ayton ever again. It's just it, it looks like a completely different shot to when he's on the baseline. I'm totally fine with the baseline jumpers. He yep. shoots them in rhythm. He you know, there's always a move that comes with it, you know, spinning off his back or something like that, and they're totally fine. Uh not sure what the numbers are between the two, but you know, anecdotally I just think, you know, that the elbow jumper's got to go. And every time he puts the ball on the floor and attacks from that position, I'm I'm so much happier, Max.
1: It's that play where he's usually kind of in semi-transition where he gets the ball, the defender's like five feet off, him, he's about at the free throw line, like you said, at the elbow. And every single time, I know every Suns fan is like, DeAndre, please don't shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't. And he usually does. And the times he doesn't, like you said, and he actually attacks, it usually goes pretty well. He's become pretty adept at that move where he, you know, it's, it's a couple of footsteps and it's a little hook shot. Yeah. Uh, that, that works well. I love it. Eddie Johnson, uh, our best friend. <laughs> actually made a, a very, very good point. I agreed with him on one of the ones where Aiton did that, and it was in-and-out. Uh, like you said, it was like 99% of that was good. It just didn't go in, and they should encourage that shot out of him because he has a legitimately great touch, as you said, and it's just, uh, man. And I don't know. This was an interesting debate on Twitter. I saw uh, Common Creeper, who's really smart, and I can't remember who challenged him, so I'm sorry about that. But Common Creeper was saying this is on the coaching staff. For letting him shoot these jumpers, basically, yep, yep. and the reply was,
0: "It's not on the coaching staff. It's it's Aiton's fault." Where do you stand on that? Uh, yeah, I I sit somewhere in the middle. I think I've mentioned it on the pod before. Is it's a it's a really uh, hard juggling act. Like the the better stuff that we've seen from DeAndre, if you have to take, you know, or accept two or three of those elbow jumpers from him. Ah, uh, to then really drive home the point of the aggression, uh, aggression stuff. Then mm-hmm. you know, probably for now, you take that. I, I've said that before. I'd probably live with that, just because of what else we're getting out of DeAndre. But yeah, you, at some point, because he is such a sponge, you've got to sit him down and say, "Look at the numbers. Like this, this isn't working for you or the team." And look at these good numbers of when you do this you know, X, Y, or Z. And I think that would rub off on him. So, you know, he's very impressionable, very coachable, which has always been my favorite thing about DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hope that that, um, you know, bears itself out a little bit more as the the kind of season plays out and we look at his development and, and maybe back off the, you know, playoffs Uh, route or anything like that and we're really just focused on DeAndre and and the younger guys coming along but you know I'm glad you mentioned Eddie Johnson I'm not gonna uh, reference some other things that some listeners might think that I'd be referencing here but I actually just think you know all season he's been spot on about DeAndre Ayton like you listen Mm -hmm. to him on the broadcast and you mentioned it him tonight when he really praises Ayton for attacking you know he knows how DeAndre Ayton needs to get used and he's really been consistent on this uh, and I very much agree with that on him. But you started by mentioning uh, Jonas Valanciunas and, and the difference with JJJ. I think this is just the progression for mate, and I think it'll come eventually. I think he was scared of just about every big last year, mm-hmm. except for the you know real tiny ones that had no chance on him. This year, I think we're seeing when he, he's coming up against his peers and things like that, he knows what he can do and, and how to outstrength them. And then I think the next progression, which might be next season, hopefully, hopefully we see it a little bit towards the end of this year, is yeah, the Valentunuses, and you know, we'll get to it later with the Sabonis uh, Paces game as well. I think he will eventually learn that all those guys can't guard him. Uh, because of how big and agile he is versus some of those bigger brute guys that are nowhere near as athletic as him. And I think we will see it. It it is frustrating, but it's nice to see the progression, Max. And, you know, part of it
1: is just the very fact that he is uh, 20 or 21. I can't remember if he's 21 right now. Going up against a guy who is, what, 30 the Valentinus. Like, you know, I know these are professional athletes, but just – if you're 30 years old, go look at a 20 year old. You don't look the same, you know, people's bodies develop. It'll, it'll take a little while for Aiton to get to where he's going to be. You know, when, when Aiton's 25 years old, he's going to be a very, very different guy uh, from a strength standpoint. Yep. I promise you that. Uh, let's get to Kelly Ubre here who had a very weird game. Cause I thought <laughs> for stretches, he was kind of carrying us. Uh, and then for other stretches, he was God awful, particularly the very end of the game, which is always tough. You don't want to be very bad at the end. That kind of gets uh, focused on, but I did really like him. I think, um, he was at the start of the fourth quarter. They played him with that Javon Carter, uh, Ty Jerome, McKell uh, lineup. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I think if they're gonna if they're gonna try to you know repeat the success of that Ty Jerome, uh, Javon Carter, McKell thing, I think you do it with Kelly as the number one option, and then you either have Aiton or or, uh, or Diallo in there with them. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense to me conceptually because I've always thought Kelly makes sense as a guy who attacks the basket. Because, you know, he's not really a passer. He's really not a complimentary player. He's very much a player you have to focus on. And I think in that lineup in particular with Jerome and Javon just kind of doing like their you know perimeter defense thing, Ty Jerome just trying to do smart things. It makes a lot of sense to me. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great point. You know, I think Kelly's game today against Memphis was kind of very symptomatic of his, his whole week, very up-and-down mm-hmm. nature, uh, quite similar to DeAndre Ayton too, actually. I thought both of their games were, were very much similar to their week's. In terms of showing little flashes and things, but probably being disappointing overall for the week. But yeah, I think Kelly really sensed the need for someone to attack today, and that's what you need from him. And I, I love that point from you about you know him needing to be focused on rather than being a complimentary piece. And you know, Monty was very honest. He said earlier this week, I believe, that they did think about moving him to the bench. And starting Mikhail Bridges before deciding against it. So, you know, if they're already thinking about that, then perhaps the halfway point uh, of not moving him to the second unit, but is playing him as a little bit more of a, a focal point of that second unit with some of those other guys that you mentioned. But, you know, he's really struggled since that concussion. I think if you count the Atlanta game where he got concussed pretty early on, uh, he was, uh, including today, I think four of 25 from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really been standing out. He's been missing a lot of open looks, which uh, is very disappointing, and, and probably uh, lends itself to some of these losses, unfortunately. But yeah, they just needed—he's—they need to do a better job of optimizing him. I think. Uh, I think they're trying to use him as a complementary piece to what is now very fast becoming a you know DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker led offense, uh, and maybe he just needs his own time to shine a little bit more, Max.
1: Yeah, I think you made this point where, you know, early in the season, Kelly Oubre was just too good not to start, right? Yep. They, they just had to do it. You could not do it. Now that Kelly has not been that good recently, so good you have to start him. And Mikel has kind of shown a little more, especially defensively, but even a couple signs of life offensively. Mm-hmm. It's starting to show what we all said off season. It wasn't just this podcast. I think most people thought this, since that Mikel Bridges makes more sense with your two stars. So maybe you want to lean towards starting him and having Kelly be the engine of the bench unit. It's honestly better for both players, in my opinion, uh, to make that switch. But obviously, the, you know, the other stuff involved, the egos. I, I don't think, I don't know if Kelly Uber would be upset about it or anything. But I have to imagine for anybody who's, you know, trying to make as much money as they possibly can playing basketball, it's hard to swallow an assignment on the
0: bench, right? Yeah, and, and this is what money, you know, earns his money doing. I, I you know, yep. said earlier today with his, his reaction to the, the Kobe news, I think he's a great leader, um, even though we're critical of him at times as a coach, I mean, even though he's been positive on that angle, I think, overall for the season as well. But, you know, this is his job. He's got to be able to sell things like that. I think we'll probably have to wait till the deadline and, and what other pieces they add before we see a, a drastic change like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's just got to pull Kelly aside and go, look, we're, you know, 19 and 27 and or whatever we are at the time and we need to make a change to try and you know make a run here to to get back off in the in the playoff hunt so um yeah that's his job you would hope that he'd be able to do it and that kelly that would be receptive to it because he's been a, a pretty good team man uh since his time in phoenix
1: the other option i guess would be to start them both together yes uh, i noticed he gave that lineup a lot of run today more Mm -hmm. than he usually has Mm -hmm. uh thought that was good it's a good trend in the right direction i think the probably the best solution would be to have kelly be the bench unit but close with that five band lineup because i think it is the best five but uh we'll see where he goes with it i'm interested to see uh how it goes going forward anything else in this game or do you want to go did you know i think we can move on from this therapy
0: session now Max. yeah (laughs) let's do it max did you know the sun's mascot was in the twitter news this week did you see that I saw someone attack it. I didn't I didn't see anything else. <laughs> so there is a gentleman by the name of Colin Kerrigan who I'd never heard of until this week and He's somehow associated with the guy who recently successfully got uh, on the Jumbotron of all 30 teams in 30 days, which was a fun thing that Wait, I saw. Wait, <laughs> Yep, it was a challenge and he successfully did it, which was awesome to see. But I thought it was a cool story, to be honest. But we're going to forget that for now because he is now the enemy. Well, he had this to say on Twitter this week. At this point, I've seen 29 of the 30 NBA mascots, and the Suns mascot is by far the most suspect out-of-place one yet. It's a gorilla in a hockey jersey thing, and it's just weird. Well, Colin, go the gorilla is not weird. You're weird. Plus, there aren't even 30 mascots in the NBA, and I was going to accuse Colin of making this whole thing up until I saw that he was part of the 30 teams in 30 days thing. So his story kind of checks out but he's wrong about the 30 mascots and certainly wrong about our beloved Gorilla Max. First quiz for you. Which four NBA teams do not have official mascots?
1: Oh, God. Um, I Celtics... Well, the Celtics have a logo. Do they have a mascot?
0: they got the worst one. It's a dude in a, in green overalls called the Lucky the Leprechaun. Oh,
1: yeah, I have seen that guy. I used to live there. <laughs> I didn't see him. Uh, I don't know, David. We're 14.
0: So there's Golden State Warriors, who had Thunder up until 2008, but he was banished when the actual NBA Thunder came into play. The New York Knicks have never had a mascot, and I don't believe they probably ever will. The Lakers have also never had a mascot, although Jack Nicholson should probably count. And Brooklyn had the Brooklyn Knight for a few years when they became Brooklyn, but he sucked and they got rid of him. (laughs) So back to go the gorilla now, Max. He first came to be in 1980 in Phoenix and happened, uh, how most good things start, by accident. A 23-year-old man by the name of Henry Rojas came dressed as a gorilla to deliver a singing telegram during a timeout at a son's home game at then-home stadium Veterans Memorial Coliseum. He did his job and then at the suggestion of some arena security, he hung around on the baseline doing dances and the fans really enjoyed him. Apparently, Henry loved the attention and kept coming back on his own accord in the suit until the team officially invited him to join their ranks. Rojas kept the job until 1988 and since then, the suit of the first inductee into the Mascot Hall of Fame, yes, that's really a thing, guys, has been worn by two more people until this day. Thankfully, Max, prior to 1980, the Suns never had a mascot despite a failed attempt at a Sun-themed one, including a Sunflower costume, which just sounds absolutely awful to me. But did you know, despite our friend Colin trying to single him out, Go the Gorilla is actually one of nine NBA mascots who do not directly match up with the team name of the franchise they represent. I won't make you name all eight of the other ones, Max, but can you think of one off the top of your head? Uh, The Spurs thing. The yep. Coyote. Exactly. The Spurs Coyote, the bat-catching mascot in San Antonio. I still wonder why that arena gets so many bats inside. <laughs> Denver have Rocky the Mountain Lion, who pretty recently got in trouble for attending a Republican rally fully dressed as Rocky without the knowledge or permission <laughs> of the team. Uh, Clutch the Bear in Houston is two-time mascot of the year. Boomer in Indiana, who is a cat of some description. A panther seems to be the consensus on that that I could see online. There is Rumble the Bison in OKC, which I believe was a possible name for OKC at the time. Chuck the Condor, the most recent mascot who copped a bit of flack along with the rest of the Clippers marketing when Steve Barmer took over. Franklin the dog, who's pretty uninspired, but definitely better than hip-hop, the previous rabbit mascot they had in Philadelphia. And the Jazz Bear, that's it. That's his name, Jazz Bear but he did did have a cool stunt which you can find on youtube where he used to slide down from the top tier down all the stairs onto the arena floor and then they banned him before he killed himself so that was an interesting fact that i found along the way and then you still have Slamson the lion with a king's tie-in in in sacramento hooper for detroit who has a horsepower link and my favorite mascot or in orlando stuff the Magic Dragon, all of which have kind of out of place, but not quite direct links to their teams. Easier question for you. Who's your favorite and least favorite mascot in the NBA, Max? Uh,
1: my favorite mascot is the gorilla, obviously, because I'm not a trader. Yep. Uh, my least favorite uh, mascot is Benny the Bull, because he's the greatest rival of the, of the gorilla.
0: Love it. Love it. I miss having the Seattle Supersonics in our league, Max. Mm. And I really miss Sasquatch, who was their really fun mascot. Uh, and my worst would probably be Bernie uh, in Miami. <sighs> Uh, who I have an unexplainable and likely very over-the-top hatred of. Uh, It's the most ridiculous-looking mascot in the NBA, for starters. Not a Bernie bro, huh? But the most ridiculous (laughs) thing about Bernie overall is that he is a magnet to lawsuits, Max, like real ones. Mm. In 94, Bernie pulled the wife of a federal judge onto the court in Puerto Rico and injured her. It was settled (laughs) for $50,000. In 2015, Bernie tore the hip of a teacher at a a school visit, I should say, trying to dance with her, and that case was settled confidentially. And then two years later, in 2017, Bernie blindsided an arena employee protecting the court at a heat game when he ran right over the top of her, and again, that one was settled by the team. All of this by the same guy within the suit, who I believe is now in his late 50s, and still running around in that stupid Bernie suit. Might be time to hang up the boots, I think, or or maybe just hang up and retire Bernie for good. But Max, now that we've established that the Suns mascot sits above many of the NBA mascots, we will end a bit more on go for this week. He's travelled... Far and wide, visiting Argentina, Australia, Canada, China, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Hong Kong, Italy, Mexico, the Netherlands, Norway, Spain, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. But he's also known for his pranks and shenanigans too, some of which got him in a little bit more trouble than others, although never quite on the level of Bernie or Rocky, I don't think. He's done colourful Slacks and a loud sports coat back in the day to imitate then Portland coach Jack Ramsey. He used to slick his hair back to mimic Pat Riley. He used to do a bit in Phoenix when they played the Knicks where he would get mugged by a bunch of actors uh, dressed up as criminals back when New York had that reputation. And probably my favorite is he wore an altered gorilla fat suit with a Kings jersey to imitate then Kings player and one-time Suns player Oliver Miller. That one got him in <laughs> quite a bit of trouble, I believe. To see us out of Did You Know this week, though, Max, do you have a favorite memory of the Suns gorilla mascot?
1: Um, I mean, it's the same as anybody who high-fived the gorilla when he was a kid. That happened to me it. it was wonderful. Love it. Love it. So I got to say, uh, great, great thing there. I think mascots are underrated. I love it. I love mascots. But uh, Franklin the Dog, I added a fin here just because I just read a uh, Benjamin Franklin documentary. And it was freaking incredible. Or sorry, biography. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. And recommend everybody doing that. That guy's crazy. I don't know if you know anything about him, David. He is quite the, quite the fellow.
0: All right. Well, uh, maybe my love of mascots will get me into to reading that book, Max.
1: That'd be quite a stretch. <laughs> uh, let's go to the Spurs games. Uh I think we just gotta focus here on the win, David. That'd be fun, especially Devin Booker, the way he was in the win on Friday night. I thought that was one of the better two-way games from him that I've seen. Uh, he was superstar-like on offense, obviously, but also came to play on defense a little bit too. I thought he was maybe. I mean, he was definitely the reason we won that game, but maybe the most impact he's had on a game, and
0: especially in that second half, than he's had in a, in a long time. Yeah, you know that I thought that that, uh, the win against the Spurs was pretty much the top of the pile of his, uh, you know, all-star chance portfolio, and I tried Mm -hmm. to highlight that by putting together a a a two-and-a-bit-minute package of, of all his highlights, and surprisingly in that, there was you know two offensive fouls drawn there was that other fast break stop of of Lonnie Walker which he's become really really good at is just running back in transition and, and going vertical and, and stopping what should be easy drives can you, uh, hey David can you tell the refs he's good at it beg your pardon can you tell the refs he's good at it <laughs> yeah it'd be nice for him to get a little bit more credit uh at the rim like that but yeah I think tried to highlight the defense because, you know, in the two Spurs games, 72 points and 15 assists on 55% shooting. So uh, he is or was who we know he is in those games, but the defense was probably the most encouraging thing in that win, Max.
1: Yep. I uh, went back and looked at the play-by-play of that game because, you know, whenever you have a close game like that, it's always crazy at the end, you forget things. Mm -hmm. After Booker fouled out, there was only one made shot by the Suns. It was a tip-in from Saric. So kind of a lucky shot made. The rest of the points that Suns scored the rest of the game were in the game free throws. I think that highlights a couple of things. First of all, Booker carried them offensively that entire half and game. Uh, and then also the Spurs were very bad in that game, shooting-wise, and we very lucky for it.
0: Yeah, we got real lucky down the stretch there. As soon as you see Booker foul out, you, you probably think that that's game, potentially, uh, when the game is so tight with what was still a fairly long time left if memory serves me correct like two and a half three minutes or something like I that. i think it right? was like 1 but i, thought, I actually okay. thought it was earlier than that too when i yeah. uh, when i went back and looked uh so yeah that it was nice to see them close it out even though what well, probably was with a little bit of luck and, and not many made buckets but uh he was incredible and and the story of the win and, and probably Ayton uh you know a, if we just talk very briefly about the the earlier loss, uh, the most encouraging thing from that from me, I think he had twenty five, twelve, two, one, and one in that first mm-hmm. Spurs game. But at you know three quarter time, it was another eight and dud game. And I think I said it at the time. I think it might be the first time of his career where he's turned a dud game into a, a positive impact. And he was extremely instrumental in that fight back that they went on. Unfortunately, again, it seems to be the story of the season. They, they fell short and we couldn't take, you know, even more from that fight back and, and be more positive about it. But you know, I thought about it last season. I'm not sure if you've got an answer on this. A, a few people mentioned the Denver game, but you know, that was a, a second quarter run and then he disappeared again. Uh, That Orlando game that we always talk about in overtime kind of came to mind. I think he he was having a dud in that. But again, that was really only defensively. I just thought this was maybe the first time on both ends of the floor that we just saw him turn what was going to be a a pretty disappointing game from him uh, into a good one.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really nice observation, especially given the way he impacted the game in that fourth quarter. Uh, again, focusing on this mo- the Monday loss to the Spurs, devastating loss by the way. That was maybe the hardest loss of the season to take. Yeah. Uh, after that incredible, what was it, like a 16-0 run, 18-0, it was something like that. It was maybe the best they played all season cohesively. It was obviously that great lineup of uh, you know Ubre, Mikkel, Aiton, Booker, and Rubio. Mm-hmm. I think for the entire part of it, and I think it tired them out because they had to do it like from the nine minute mark on. I think is how they got back in that game. But yeah, and I think Aiton may have been the best player in that stretch. I mean, Booker was obviously in the third quarter; is the only reason they were in it with some of those insane threes he was hitting. But Aiton, uh, on both ends, was incredible. Defensively, he was probably the anchor, and then he was also scoring on the offensive end. That was it was really encouraging to see because, as you point out here, like it's it's hard for a young player to start a game poorly and then get break out of the funk
0: and then actually impact the game that positively. So yeah, I don't know, I, that's a great observation by you. Yeah, I just I thought it was noteworthy. Uh, you know he wasn't great then in the second San Antonio game if i just look over the stats now yeah. what he have he only had 10 and 11 in that one i really hope that he was going to take the momentum of of maybe what he learnt against the the Spurs bigs from that one and bring it into the next game but yeah very up and down week from maton but i think we mostly you know want to focus on the on the positives here and we've noted it before a lot of other people are mentioning it too he's a young player uh we it was hard not to get excited about those three or four game you know, in a row that he kind of strung together, and we were really thinking that he was, you know, turned a corner. But we're probably going to get duds still. You know, we probably had those four games in a row followed by, you know, four bad ones. If he doesn't have that quarter against the Spurs and and go on a decent run today against Memphis, he would have been looking at, you know, four largely ineffective games. So good to see him you know stepping up on occasion and and I think overall the the progress is definitely positive and that's just going to be the story probably for the rest of this season I would imagine and hopefully we just see it get a little bit more consistent in these last 35 40 games
1: yeah he's going to be uneven and I was actually thinking about this with Booker early in his career like in Booker's second year he was uneven too there were games where he was very bad, so you know I'm I'm not I, I am overall happier with Aiton than I was before the season started, even after this somewhat bad stretch, uh, you know. I, I, and there's something good moments to it too, like that John ja Morant on an island thing today where he blocked the three pointer. Yeah, that was nice. I like seeing that DeAndre. Obviously, we talked about the JJJ uh, dunk already. So overall, happy with what we're seeing from Aiton. Um, anything else on the Spurs games, or do you want to? Oh, uh, you know what? We should talk about Dario because Dario was. Really the unheralded hero of the uh, the win against them on Friday night was shot really well, was awesome defensively. I know you're a huge charge guy, David. What do you think of him?
0: Yeah, well I had a question for you. I'm glad you brought him up yeah. before we moved on because I get my question with Dario is again another guy who's very up and down, comes in and out of games. You know, what have we seen from him or or what can Monty do to get you know, those games more consistently out of him. You know, my other only point from both the Spurs games is he essentially only trusts six players right now. He's playing like a, you know, six and a half man rotation, just having to tinker with uh, the other guys. I'm looking at all the four box scores here from the week and, you know, it's basically six guys and and maybe a seventh or a mixture of guys to make up a seventh player's minute. So he doesn't trust many guys, but he does trust Dario or, or appears to be having to play him at least. And we've seen him a little bit at the five as well, which I haven't minded. I don't know what your opinion on that has been too, but yeah, they've just got to, what can they do, Max, to, to get these performances out of him a little bit more consistently?
1: I don't know if it was you or somebody else, but I saw somebody tweet about how they had him shoot some mid-range jumpers in the Spurs game, yeah, or at that, least the Spurs yeah, were giving that. them to him. Yeah. That was you? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, maybe that works. Maybe they should try to get that going a little more often. I know Eddie will love that. <laughs> um, but overall, I mean, I don't know if there's much they can do. Like, if you're just going to, you know, play well or not play well, you know, sometimes it's just going to happen or not going to happen, right? Yeah. So I think we just need him to play better. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's very clear with him. Like, when he's when he's hitting shots, he plays better. You know, and he's actually kind of a bellwether for the whole team, too. I would really like, I mean, you know, it, these stats are always fraught because, of course, when your players who start play better, you, you play better with your record. Mm-hmm. But I do really feel like he's a bellwether, David. Like when Saric plays well, it really seems like it's a you know we're, we're, we probably have above 500 record I would guess he may, maybe larger because we don't have anybody else at the four but yeah maybe give him some backup five minutes while Baines is out you know I, I don't think Diallo has been good enough where you you can't experiment there yeah uh, Diallo had a really bad missed layup today by the way this Oof, game. that was terrible that was that was tough weird for him too he's usually that's not one of the problems with this game but. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would experiment with him as a backup five a little bit, especially if you're going to go more to the the, the five-guy lineup that we talked about earlier. Maybe that's how you get Sarge's minutes. But, you know, I don't know. Overall,
0: I think at the end of the day, he just got to play better. Yeah, I think that the pressures, and we're seeing it with the fans kind of blaming, you know, Kelly in the past, Rubio today, Dario cops a little bit of heat the pressure's really on these guys because of the fact that they've really only got, you know, six good NBA players and and you mm-hmm. know, three of them are, are largely ineffective offensively unless they go off like, you know, Bridges did in that one Boston game. So, you know, Booker and Ayton cop the, you know, the brunt of the workload, but you know, if you've only got that many guys, you, the pressure's really on, you know, at least two of Sarich, Kelly and and Ricky to have big games you know, every every night because it's just so mm-hmm. hard to win a game in the NBA even against bad competition if you've only got, you know, two guys going on the night. All right, David, ready for the Indiana game? It's going to be brutal, guys, I'm warning you, but I think we learned a lot from that one, Max. The
1: point I like the most about that game, I tweeted about this, actually came from Eddie Johnson once again. So we're going to get to this podcast. I loved his point about how... It, the aggressive team that comes out to start the game and, you know, is pushing, bruising, you know, being the, the physical team and, you know, kind of takes the other team by surprise to the point where the other team, like later in the game, has to come back and start trying to be physical themselves. The, the, the theme that sets in the refs' minds, the, you know, it's cognitive bias, but I, I don't mean to call them biased against the Suns. I just mean the bias that any human would have towards seeing the aggressive team and like yeah. just getting used to that and then seeing the non-aggressive team try to become aggressive and all of a sudden that looks out of place. I thought that was an awesome point. And I think it goes really it goes a lot towards the season. The Suns have kind of seemed like they've gotten the bad end of a lot of calls this season. Mm-hmm. And they really have. I think that's a real thing. And I think largely it's not cause it's because the refs hate the Phoenix Suns, because the, the refs don't expect the Suns to play physically. They don't expect the Suns to come out as a young team and, you know, set the tone. And I think when the Suns do try to do that, they end up getting called for fouls, and it's super frustrating. Trust me, I, I, I tweet a lot about it now, and I have to hold back myself from tweeting a lot <laughs> about it because it's that frustrating. But I really hope Monty is, is you know, attuned to this and is telling the guys, like, hey, if you want to get out of this rut, if you want to start getting the calls, you've got to consistently come out with the energy. You've got to come out with the physicality. You've got to be the team that starts the game more physical because the team that starts the game more physical just comes out with an advantage.
0: Yeah, and it's one reason that I could be talked into starting, you know, Mikhail and Kelly together because yeah. you're already an underdog from a size perspective straight away. So just mentality-wise, I think those guys are going to, you know, bring it a little bit harder, bring a little bit of that chaos. I thought it was a good point too by Eddie. I, I think it's just only natural. And I tried to look at the numbers, I guess, from when the defense was looking better during the, mm-hmm. the, the early part of the year. And there wasn't a lot popping out to me. I thought that maybe there'd be a correlation between – you know, the amount of deflections the team was getting and, and foul calls even on the team uh, versus the, the defense looking better early on in the year. It's been pretty consistent, you know, throughout, but that's just the nature of... Uh, stats sometimes and why they don't tell the whole story, and you've got to watch the games because I think for anyone watching, we've seen it. They're just not as aggressive as what they were early on in the year, uh, and then you know maybe some of those fifty-fifty calls are, are going against them. You know the charge today in the Memphis game that really started a, a Memphis run is a, a, a great example mm. of that. That's being called on Devon Booker. God, I, I don't know how many times this year getting caught in the air and running over guys. So, you know, all of a sudden it's one against him, uh, clear knee in the chest with with nowhere to go and it's just a no call and they end up getting a three out of it. So, you know, it, it's frustrating, but I do believe that, you know, whilst they can't control the refs, the Suns can probably just amp up the aggression and, and the chaos that we always talk about just a little bit more and see whether that gets them a better whistle. I can't even talk about the officiating as it relates really to Devin Booker. It gets me
1: too upset. Uh, no, we're, gonna that, to that runs... we're gonna have to add Ayton.
0: We're gonna have to add Ayton to that at some point too, yeah. Max, because that dunk on on Jackson, I've seen that called a, an N one. You know, basically all season that I, I've watched. Like if you challenge a guy at the rim and he basically dunks you through the hoop, like there's enough contact there that that, that, that it's a foul. Every single damn time, and there was another one too with Aiton. I think it wasn't a dunk, but I think it was
1: like an under the rim finish where he clearly got hacked, and they didn't call It's it's A. Hey, listen, like I said, it's frustrating, uh, and I think the Suns. You know, you got to earn. Unfortunately, NBA refs are uh, all human beings are fallible, and refs are especially fallible. I would say, David. Yeah. Uh, and the Suns. I guess you just got to earn it by becoming veterans and becoming stars. But you know, it, it's hard. I mean, especially when you see John Morant get calls.
0: Uh, I, I don't want to devolve into complain about the refs, David. Uh, I just, go I too. just hate it. I hate it for Aiton's development yeah, you know I what know. incentive does he have? We're all yelling at him to be more aggressive all the time, and and just what incentive is there for him? Although we should touch on it very, very quickly. Just going through the games, you know, before we get to to diving into more in the Indiana, he didn't have a free throw attempt in that one, but in the other games, you know, he definitely has been getting to the line a little bit more, which has been great to see it's exactly what we needed from him
1: but uh this uh, kind of transitions into uh my other point on the indiana game this is the more negative on the sun's point watching damon as bonus david i was struck by just how smart he is it seemed like he made the right play on every single play yeah i was just so impressed by him it, it really exposed for me the lack of intelligence basketball wise for the suns even our good players you know booker and ayton make dumb mistakes all the time booker He's got to stop leading with that off arm. They call it every time. I don't know why he's still doing that. Yep. yep. It, it's just constant. Uh, obviously, Kelly Ubrey could be all over the place sometimes. Rubio's shot selection's terrible. Mikel, too hesitant, obviously, to make an impact. I think he does have a good IQ, but he's just too hesitant. Uh, you can't get away with having that many dumb players, David. It just doesn't work. And
0: I think that it's probably the thing that plagues this team the most. Yeah. So is a great example. You know, like, can't jump over a jam tin, uh, mm-hmm. has worked on his shot. Uh, but, you know, can't shoot the three. Just out-hustles, guys. What Great. One of the best rebounders. Might be an all-star. Uh, just absolutely smashed Aiton and, and all the Suns bigs in that game by just coming out and, and being aggressive from the start. You know, there, I saw a lot of fans complaining about that one time that he just really went at Aiton and it could have been an offensive foul. But it's kind of like we were talking about before. You be the more aggressive guy, you, you're probably going to get the whistle. So, yeah, I think from what we've seen from James Jones, he, he clearly... Uh, values high IQ guys. I think Bridges definitely is the two guys he drafted this year definitely are. Uh, Ricky Rubio, you know, a smart guy, although you, I think, have rightly pointed out his his very terrible shot selection more recently, which, you know, it's a fine balance between him having to take those shots because they're leaving him open and, and him forcing a little bit too much, which I think we saw just far too much of this week. The running um, bankers, David, I can we can cut those out. <laughs> yeah, if we're gonna try and cut Aiton's elbow jumpers out, I think we can cut those Ricky Rubio running bank shots out too, because he probably <laughs> is like two of twenty-five on the season or something mm-hmm. like that, I would imagine. But yeah, just a dud game overall that one. But hopefully they could you know take some some lessons out of it at least, particularly DeAndre Aiton, I thought, and it was probably Devin Booker's worst game in in quite a while too.
1: It's going to be a bad matchup for the Suns when they go up against a team where they don't beat themselves. Like, because the Suns beat themselves routinely. Even when they win, they beat themselves. They, yeah. just, they make so many mistakes that when you play against a team that's well-coached and all the players are you know, fitting their roles correctly and you have some bonus running, uh, running the show on offense and not making mistakes, you're, just, you're not going to beat a team like that. They, they really just beat the shit out of the Suns, to be honest. That's, that's kind of what happened. They beat the shit out of them mentally and physically. It was a complete yeah. and total beatdown. And uh, I think overall, maybe in the long-term development of this team, that kind of game is good. T- to have a team that's probably like, you know, equivalently talented as you or maybe even a little less talented, just beat the crap out of you and just show you what it takes to actually compete in the
0: NBA on a to night basis. But, man, David, and the short term, it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> These are the moments where I, you know, would love to be a fly on the wall in the, in the Suns' offices, you know, front right. office staff and, and coaching staff and stuff. Because, you know, how much are they – um, you know, taking the positives out of what we're seeing and, and not being so worried about some of these negatives and just kind of feeling like development's going in the right direction. We're going to be a little bit up and down. I thought you had a, a great point when we are chatting privately about DeAndre Ayton and just not paying too much attention to the, the highs and lows of his game this year and just kind of trying to see a, an upward trajectory on the consistency uh, you know the baseline level of effort and, and results we expect from Aiton. it would, I'd, I'd like to think that that's what the Suns are doing overall with the team as well and you know would they you know sit back and after digesting the Indiga- Indiana game you know t- have a joke with it and, and kind of feel like that's you know that ass kicking is is going to mean better for them in the long run than uh, probably what it feels like in the moment. James Jones is definitely
1: paying lip service to that point. I've seen him say before that they're much better than they thought they were going to be. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really believe that, but I do believe that he is keeping everything in perspective. He seems like the kind of guy who is like that, which is important for this team. The team. In the front office and uh, player-wise, it too many guys who react too much, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think having somebody to keep a cool head like that. And Monty seems that way, too. He may, he may be a little more frustrated because he's closer to it. But I think that you know the five-year contract for Monty, the James Jones' approach to things, it does seem like they have, an, they have the long view in mind here, which is good. And it's part of why I don't think we're going to see a panic trade at the deadline here. I think they're, they're, their goal here is to develop Booker and Aiton and, to a lesser extent, Mikel and Ubre. And I think that they see the positive signs and hopefully we all can see it. Cause Hey, you know what? We as Suns fans have always been really big Devin Booker fans and and, you know, we've been really high on his progress, but he's doing it. And I think we need, you know, in a, a podcast full of negativity and a time full of negativity, it is worth embracing what Devin Booker has become and how consistently he is showing to be a true, you know, carrier team franchise kind of player in this league. And, it's hard to find those kind of guys, so I think we should take account of, of that. That's an important
0: thing. Another week where he's averaged thirty-one points per game over four games. Mm. Like you can literally just count on him now as as being that guy for this team, and that becomes, you know, uh, things become a lot easier to make those decisions around and and building the right pieces. So yeah, I guess to tease very very smallly our our next episode before the trade deadline, I think what we saw in the off season, if there's a move that can be made. That they believe helps Devin Booker and or DeAndre Ayton in some way, just by taking yep. pressure off them or helping part of their game, you know, giving Ayton a, a weak side shot blocker or giving Booker another you know initiator to work with when when Rubio's not playing well or not in the game, you know, they'll make that move. But other than that, I'm not expecting a, a hell of a lot, Max.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. And I'm sure they'd love to make the playoffs. They're just not going to sell Mikel Bridges for Danilo Gallinari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd love to make it. If it's a small move, they don't have to give their core, fine, but it's not going to be like that. Uh, anything else for
0: the leaderboard time, David? I think we've covered off, and it's a, a great way to, I guess, wrap up the week by doing the leaderboard in, in this spot of the episode this week, Max.
1: My five-star player is Ricky Rubio. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: David, my five-star player is Evan Booker. Yep, and he sits at the top of the leaderboard still uh, with Ubre, Rubio, Baines, and Saric, behind him, uh, Aiton is up to eighth, I should just note, uh, he's behind those guys, and Mikhail and Frank are uh, very hot on their toes, and, and about to to uh, replace those guys on the leaderboard, I should say, but yeah, no surprises with top five here, uh, Booker had 16 points, 36, 35, and 37, he was the best player for the Suns, as I said, he averaged 31 points, 50% from the field, 44% from three, which was nice to see uh that go back up this week, Max, and ninety-seven mm-hmm. percent from the free throw line. If only he could take all of our free throws, Max.
1: That would help, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, going to the next player on this list. This is very hard, David. This is a yes. hard leaderboard. Yeah. War- warning
0: for everyone listening who who hasn't looked at their votes yet. Everyone's been great at getting them through to us, which has been awesome. Uh you're gonna you're gonna struggle four through one here, guys. It ain't easy. I went with maybe a surprise choice. This guy has not had
1: enough shine on this list all season. I'm rewarding him for his defense. I'm rewarding him for his consistency.
0: On that end, it's Mikael Bridges, David. Ooh, I like that you are highlighting Mikael on on a week where yeah, you could probably pick anyone for this list. Yep. I've still gone Cali um, you know, I just thought his his highs were you know outweighed his lows, and he was probably still uh, the the second most dependable player. Uh, you know, obviously leaning towards wins of, of which we only had one this season, but everyone listening, uh, that has on a consistent basis knows that I I put a lot into that.
1: Yep. And I had Oubre as my three-star player. I actually, I'm weirdo. So I did this during the game. I was just to get right before the end of the game, like before two minutes, I had him four. And then I was like, (laughs) uh, sorry, two bad plays to lose the game. Gotta move you down. But no, he, you're right. Overall, he's been very, very good. Uh, consistent. I actually was surprised when I went back and looked at the four games that the box score numbers were actually pretty good for him. Yeah, kind of an all four. Uh, he was, you know, very consistent. He
0: was good in the Spurs win. He deserved the three star. If he could get that three point shot back, then he would have had an yeah. even better, you know, week. Uh, I'm looking at here. He averaged, you know, one one make from five attempts, twenty percent over the four games. That's just not going to do it uh, for Kelly. But uh, three for me was DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I thought he was. Again, the highs kind of outweighed the lows this week. Um, I thought there was a lot that we could take from it. Uh, I've mentioned it already, so I don't need to go over it too much. But, you know, that Spurs uh, reinvigoration of himself and and then he, how he was today in the Memphis game in, in certain stretches as well, I thought, was was pretty encouraging. Uh, the, the efficiency is, is still bad, mainly because of those, you know, silly jump shots that hopefully they can take out of his game. But, you know, 15.5 points, 11.5 rebounds... Uh, only 0.8 of a block this week because he had a couple of uh, bad ones. But again, you see the flashes like Memphis. He blocked Morant uh, both at the rim and on the perimeter. So, it, you know, we're getting the progress that we need from DeAndre, I think, Max.
1: Yep, he was a two-star player, and maybe it's because I'm grading him on a curve and it's unfair, but, you know, it, it was, uh, like you said, an up-and-down week. They were good at us, but, you know, you can't disappear for entire games and get hired in two points on this generally. So I, I feel bad putting him there because I, I am overall encouraged with this progress. But, you know,
0: I just thought Mikel never were better. Yeah. Who's your two? Was that your two? Yeah, that's my two. Yeah, that was your two. I've gone Dario for two. Yeah, uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned it earlier in the episode, so don't need to go over it too much. But, you know, I think particularly in the win, he was really, really good, which I tried to highlight throughout watching that game and, and re-watching it. Uh, and not much more to say on Dario, but I thought he, he was deserving of being on the leaderboard here.
1: Yeah, I have him at one star. I considered him before this game as the four star. Again, this is hard. This yeah. is a hard week. Uh, he ended up sliding down to one because he was basically a non-factor in this, in this game. And I, lo- I went back and looked at the Indiana game and the other Spurs game, and he really was just yeah you know, not that good in those games. He was mm-hmm. great in the Spurs game, and that almost got
0: him to two or three for me. But yeah, ultimately, given the one. Yep, and I've gone, Mikael Bridges, got to get him in there. Uh, stats don't jump off the page, but you know his impact is definitely far greater than that. And God, I just hope that that shot can come around at some point because then he's going to be a, a super impactful player. But I guess the surprise this week is no Ricky Rubio for either of us, but you look at the week and it is not a surprise at all. He had uh, shooting splits of 37.5, 30 from 3, and 50% from the free throw line. He only had 4.3 assists this week to 2.3 turnovers. It was a horror, horror week for Ricky Rubio, Max. I have Rubio here. I have him as a dishonorable mention. <laughs> uh, and as my honorable mention, I have Javon Carter, just for
1: that Memphis game. That's That deserves an honorable mention for me.
0: Javon probably would have got himself in if they won that game today, I think, and and maybe that's a little bit unfair for him. But, you know, as someone who really rates the wins more than the losses when I come to do this, like he he would have deserved getting a mention somewhere in here, I think.
1: Well, he deserves more time. I think he'll get it. So hopefully his reward will be a little more time, uh, maybe with the Ty lineup. That could be interesting to see. Going forward. But David, are you ready for uh, seven seconds or less?
0: I will. I'll just remind everyone to send their votes through. And week 13 is all the games that we talked about today both the San Antonio Spurs one, uh, Indiana, and Memphis. And we're probably going to have a short week, I think, this week just looking at the upcoming schedule. So uh, send those through, guys. But Max, do you want to explain the rules for maybe any new listener that we've got?
1: Yep. David's about to ask me three questions for which I have not prepared and for which I have seven seconds to answer. We trade off every week. This is David's turn to ask me. So David, what's the first question?
0: Max, we're going to preview all the upcoming important events with seven seconds or less this week. So January 30, the All-Star Reserves will be announced. Is Devin Booker in or is Devin Booker out?
1: I'm already nervous about this, man. Uh, I think he will not be initially
0: in. He'll get in as an injury reserve. The first injury reserve. That's my prediction. Yikes. All right. I'm still going in, but yeah, I'm just as nervous as you. Then we get to Feb 6, the trade deadline. Give me one name to watch out for on the Suns radar. And also just a team. We haven't really done general NBA this episode. So just a team not related to the Suns that might make a a significant move, you think, even though it's probably going to be a pretty quiet deadline, Max. I'd be shocked if the Clippers
1: didn't do something. They have their own first this year uh, and a lot of incentive to do something. Uh, As far as the Suns go, I know this is going to hurt you, but I I have my eye on Derrick Rose,
0: David. I think that is something they may do. Let's not cross that bridge until we have to. (laughs) And Feb 6 as well is when the All-Star captains make their choices, which would make for a pretty weird night if there were any All-Stars that were actually up for trade Uh, this year but you know being on the same day as the trade deadline but let's say Booker does make it in and and therefore is in that player pool Max how many of the 22 other players so taking Giannis and LeBron out as captains would get chosen before Devin Booker and which one of those two captains do you reckon is is got a love for Devin Booker and going to choose him?
1: I'm actually guessing that he'll go pretty high in this because players tend to really like him. Yep. And players love guys that make tough shots. I bet LeBron takes him as like a recruiting tool. LeBron's known for that kind of crap. <laughs> yeah. He'll probably be like, get to the Lakers later, Devin. So that's, that's my prediction.
0: Yep. I reckon that is spot on. I thought of LeBron straight away from that same angle. And I agree with you. I think he could be in the, the top half of the players chosen, even though he's maybe, you know, if he does make the all star list, probably one of the last guys chosen as a wild card by the coaches, Max.
1: Players love players who hit tough shots. Uh, that, and then maybe that's a good allegory for what happened today, David. Yep. Um, that's it for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me at MaxMTC11. You can follow David
0: at the 4-point play. David, anything else? We got our first ever 4-star rating, but they didn't leave a review, so we couldn't read anything out, Max. But uh, just an encouragement that we will continue to read them out if anyone wants to throw them our way as i said feb 6 is the trade deadline so that'll be our next episode i'll put you on the spot quickly do they force us into a possible emergency pod by uh, making a trade pre the deadline before the next time we get a chance to record max do we have to do an emergency pod if we trade a second round pick for some backup of guard <laughs> <laughs> not unless it's a player i've got some ridiculous uh love for that is unwarranted And then I'll say no. Uh, And Dallas, last game of January, and OKC, first game in February. They're the games that we're looking at this week. As I said, a short week, Max. So everyone should take a little bit of time away from basketball, hopefully. Uh, And we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody.